never forget it's the first time and the last time we haven't met. But I know the reasons why you keep your silence so. super trolley today um so yeah i'm full <laughs> welcome everyone to the tori zoe show i thought i would have a little bit of fun um having fun on the car ride back and demonstrating some thirsty thirsty people um i thought that was a quite fitting song um thirsty thirsty except for jack right jack um is not thirsty jack is upset um, you know, and Jack is upset and he, and he has every, let me just say, I'm not going to go into his personal details, but he has the right to be upset, but he shouldn't be targeting me or Garrett. That's, that's basically it. So, um, you know, his issue stems from something else. He's just looking to unload cause he's pissed and he blames someone else for whatever. And he's just hitting wherever he can. And it's like, bitch, I bite back. So, you know, uh, losers are losers. I wanted to show you guys something. I don't know if it's going to show on camera, but I'm just going to show you just how behind the scenes the stuff is. I want to hide the phone number though. Right. You guys ready to see this? I don't know if you can. Let me see if you can. Wait, let me see. Let me see. Can you see that? Is it in focus? No, it's not. So this is from Pete Santilli. He's been texting me. I haven't responded to him at all. Right. Um, so... He texted me. He texts me a lot. I ignore him. Like, he's nobody. Why would I want to listen? So the first text was on Wednesday, March 23rd. Oh, no, wrong. March Thursday, March 17th, that I'm going to read to you. So Scam Tilly, who's super thirsty, sends me a text. You got the Halderman report? That tells me what team you're on. Good job. I stand down. Like the fuck you were standing up anyway. I was very suspicious of you until now. Like, I need your validation. Like, who the fuck are you, gumshoe? Um, and then he says, that's the crown jewel. Kept texting. Didn't answer. Wednesday, March 23rd. Oops. Fake news. Forget, forgot to mention, I found out it was an affidavit. Good job, but I'm back to being suspicious of you as I am of almost everyone. And it's like, no one responded to him. Listen to what this loser said. Oh, it's just an outdated. Bitch, did you file any affidavits from Halderman that were kept secret under seal that I don't know about? What have you done? Like, let's get this straight. Like, I'm sorry. Why are you all up in my DMs telling me things like this? Like, who are you? Whoa, whoa. I don't see him getting any Halderman secret declarations, not an affidavit declaration, right? Might I say. That no one had ever publicized, right? 
I don't see him doing anything, but he's there to critique, of course, because we give a fuck. But here's the funny one. This morning uh, at 9.17 a.m., he sends a text. Watch your six. We're coming. Now, I don't know how to interpret that. I would say that someone that was on the Bundy Ranch would warrant me to go down to the sheriff's office and complain and say, I think I've just received a threat. Yeah. See, these are one of the many clowns. See, you don't hear them talking because the thing is, they've got issues, right? They've got issues. Uh, all of them have issues. And yes, it does sound like a threat. Totally is a threat. My lawyers all said it's a threat. So, you know, it's like, and no, I haven't drunk and I'm just in a, in, in a happy mood. Ate a lot of fish. Um, I was the designated driver <laughs> and um, had a lot of fun with my daughter and, and my attorney, um, who's incredible. But anyway, what I wanted to say is we're, we're seeing the drama, like the drama's always been there, right? But kind of like the left, it's like not even hidden anymore. Like they don't care. They're all out crazy shills, right? Then these random people come out like, yeah, I'm a reporter. What's Mary Grace? Like, who the fuck is that? Another CIA op that everyone's suddenly propping up. She's like the new flavor of the month. Let's see if we can replace and install someone else. Like, this is so dumb. This is so dumb. I am so over it. Like, I'm just like, we got other things to do. Don't be thirsty. You guys suck. You can take your 10 viewers and shit and hop along and, you know, critique people that are actually doing something. You know, that's what shocked me. See, if I was just somebody that was like, I don't know, sitting there and um, just commentary, right? Like Scam Tilly does, right? Where he has insiders. You know, he's been begging around to get into, um, what is it? Um Oh, somebody get me in so I could find out what's going on with the Rico, Rico, Rico. And it's like, see, Tori knew about this Rico from like forever and day. Obviously, you're not in the know. But, you know, every time he calls someone, I'm like, tell him that he has to go through me just so you can piss him off. Please tell him you have to go through me, <laughs> even though he doesn't. <laughs> Would be fun, though. See, the thing is, where we're at is that these people are... Um, critiquing people actually doing things. And, uh, you know, obviously with me, it's a oh, no-brainer. They do it all the time. Oh, they're going to critique, you know? Like, what's his face? Brian Cates comes out with an article. Bloggers aren't going to solve this. I have the receipts. They started investigating Hunter Biden in 2018. It's like, no, they didn't, loser. It's 2017. Let me show you the receipts. Obviously, you must have some version of receipts. See, this is the problem. Like, I, I don't sit and show all my cards. Like, I, I don't think I've ever shown that document to anyone, right? I don't put it all out there because I don't need anybody's validation. I should remember that. Because they grasp me and they talk to me as if I need their validation. Like, I'm not thirsty to go be like, oh, will you be my friend? Like, I, I don't need friends. This isn't a time to make friends. And I don't need your coattails. You need mine, right? I don't need your coattails. And it's not time to play high school because that's like so over, 
right? It's extremely embarrassing. You know, uh, they're attacking Garrett Ziegler. Well, he's been busting his ass trying to get a great report, making phone calls, gathering documentation, putting things together, getting things professionally done and accurately. Why would they attack him for that? Right? Why would they attack him for that? Oh, well, he's like breaking the stories. No, he's writing a report. Okay. A very good thorough report. I don't understand why they, they constantly attack that young man when he's doing such a great job. And, and he knows through me, anything he wants, I'll help because I want him to succeed. Because if he succeeds, the information succeeds. And if the information succeeds, then we have a fantastic array of indictments to come. And for me, it beefs up my case for impeach 44. Why would I want him to fail? I would want him to win. And, 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 and like everyone that's doing research and investigative pieces, you know, I want them to win. I want them. It's like, we're in the same boat, dude. Why are you, you know, flooding us? It's like that picture I saw somewhere online where there was a hole in the thing and someone's like, look, there's a hole in the boat. And someone's like, maybe we should just ignore it. Maybe we should just this. People just keep causing issues rather than solving them. They should Sorry, be. Sorry, could you say that again? No, Sorry. no, Siri, you need to shut up. Why is Siri talking? Put her in the Faraday bag. Um, look, we all need to succeed. We all need to get information out. It's not about being first. There's no offense. If the people that actually had the information first put it out, they're always going to be first. You don't have any special sources. You don't have any ins, right? You're supposed to be working together, right? You're supposed to be putting out information together. You're supposed to be working together because we're supposed to be united and we're supposed to be working for the people, not for yourself, but for the people. And that's the thing. These people are thirsty as shit. They'd rather their country go to shit than somebody that's not them, you know, get a story out or somebody that's not them or someone that they hate. You know, a lot of people, I'm like Brie Cheese. You either like me or you don't, because that's the way the truth is. You either like it or you don't. I mean, nine times out of 10, we don't like it. Like I said, I, I struggle with the truth all the time because I don't like what I see sometimes. And I don't want to believe it because it's not that nice. Truth is like free speech. It's, it's not nice. <laughs> it's messy. It's raw, it's controversial, you know, controversial because of your reality construct. And it, it isn't always what you want to hear. And that's the thing. Why can't we all help each other? I mean, no offense, the two losers that I showed, what is it, Ann Vandersteel and Pete Santilli, they're both thirsty. They do nothing. They're just all like, oh, let me, and I got sources. You don't have sources. One's a fed. His wife's name was something else a long time ago. Let's not get into that. We'll leave that alone. I don't mind about people's past. I should shut up. I take that back. That was me being mean. The thing is, it's like freaking high school when we should be working together. Everyone should be applauding 
Garrett Ziegler. Everyone should be like, oh, great job, Tori. You know what I was thinking? Um, I was talking to a bunch of attorneys about cases. That's why I'm here. What coincidence, right? Um, and I was thinking, wow, we have actual documented election integrity issues in the state of Ohio, which right now, as you can see, is blowing the fuck up, right? Pete Scamtilly's from Ohio, right, too, right? So it's blowing up. But for me, we have bonafide election integrity issues. But because they don't like me, they won't report it. This is the problem that we have. That rather than them say, you know what, this is really messed up and they're doing this across the nation, we should all talk about it. They're just immature. You just need to turn them, turn them off. Turn them off. It is not doing any service to our nation to be playing that, right? It's, it's not. It's not doing any service to our nation whatsoever to be playing around with babies. Babies that don't care about their country, but they care about themselves. And I hope it's a little bit more apparent now because I've been talking about this for a couple years. And it's fallen on deaf ears, you know? It's like, you know, Pasobic. He's like, oh, look at me. I'm so cool. And then he disappears and then he comes back. Oh, it's like a roller coaster. And it's like, what is going on here? You know, what is going on here? It's about them and it's not about us. And now I hope you can see it a little bit better because Jack's freaking out. And I get why he's freaking out. And I think he's just lashing out on the people that he feels that he can lash out on because one of them is a young, budding, you know, Trump appointee, worked at the Trump White House for Peter Navarro. He's extremely smart. I have nothing bad to say about Garrett, except for the fact that I told him, like telling people you didn't get the laptop from me and I'm telling people that I gave you the laptop totally kills my credibility. But he explained to me, well, in essence, when I left your house, the computer didn't work. And so I asked a common friend of ours to do it. And it's like, mm. still makes me look like you're fucking with my credibility. And I told him that. And I'm pretty straightforward. And he goes, okay, I understand. You know, and it's like, that's what happened, right? That's what happened. But regardless, all of these losers are, are, are it's, it's blowing my mind. Because I'm like, do, are they, it's like they're praying for the plane to crash, we're all pilots in some way, like steering it. And they're like, no, I'm going to steer. No, I'm going to steer. No, I'm better at steering. So fuck you. And they're like killing each other with a steering wheel while everyone's going down. That's how selfish they are. And I see it. I see it. And it's like, this is so horrible just watching it. I get it. Some people don't have sources and they just comment. their commentary. Great. Commentary correctly then. Right. Don't add your in my inside sources. You have no fucking sources. OK, no sources. None. You know nada. And the people you're talking to obviously don't know because you heard Rico here first. So that's the thing. A lot of people think that, you know, by them coming, I don't understand. It's, it's just a hot mess. And so I wanted to address that before we get into North Korea and some other stuff. Um, 
It's like so terrible, isn't it? We're not going to analyze the Rico because they're all waiting for me to do it. So I'll let them sweat because I already knew about it, right? So we don't need to talk about it yet, right? You guys, we made Rico Suave a song before they even thought about Rico Suave. Okay, so they could just move along. Um, so let them analyze that so we can, you know, let's see what their comments. <laughs> oh, stop. I just want them to implode on themselves. You know, they'll probably wait. They'll probably say, well, I'm just still reading through it. I guess you read real fast. Seven seconds worth of fast. So there's my trolley side coming out. Um, I think it was necessary because I know the tr they watch too. And that's what you are, guys. You're gum on all of America's shoe right now. You're nothing. You've done absolutely nothing. Okay. Your results are. I mean, could you believe that Pete Scamptilly was telling me, oh, yeah, it was just a declaration? Yeah, a declaration that no one's ever seen. It's been under seal for like, you know, over a year. But you're going to sit there and judge me from where? On a throne of shit? Like, you've done nothing. Who are you? Thirsty, thirsty people latch on to people like Patrick Byrne, Mike Lindell, you know, because they need money. Oh, I'll be here. I'll be your voice. Just pay me. Buy me my ticket. That's what they do. Thirsty. Because they can't do it on their own. Why? Because they're not the news. We are in the Breitbart era. Breitbart era means that real news is powered by the people. Not by corporations, not by deep pockets, but by the people. And instead of us paying for advertising time, you know, by buying products that they advertise, right? Um, the people pay directly. And that's how you know where the news comes from. Because we are now in the era of Breitbart. This is exactly what Breitbart envisioned. A media powered by the people, not by deep pockets. You think I don't know all these pundits who pays them? Hmm? Who owns them? Who they beg? I do. But it's not classy to say. So. They're busy begging people to sponsor them and sell whatever they have to sell because their coattails can't keep them afloat. Why? Because they're not delivering truth. Rather than hinder the truth, why don't you try to emulate it? Why don't you be better? Garrett Ziegler had no problem funding his Marco Polo because people trust him to deliver it the way he says. Why? Because he gives them updates. He tells them, I'm doing it thorough. I'm not just dropping anything. And he's very meticulous. See, he shows action and people respond to that. You can't just sit there and demand people to just give you stuff or to buy your shit without actually doing so. You're not serving them. People will subscribe to you. People will um, make sure that you have money in your pocket so that you can produce, to um, put out reports, to have your servers, to be able to travel because they want you to be able to get the job done. Instead, you guys go begging to, you know, anyone 
who it is. And then what you do is you blow somebody else's candle out to make yours brighter. So for that moment, you get a check. Thirsty. And this doesn't apply to Jack Maxey, by the way. Okay. Not at all. Jack Maxey is a really smart guy. He's a solid guy. I know why he's upset. And, and I didn't deserve that, Jack, at all. Okay. I didn't deserve it because I've been working really hard on that from another angle. I know how hard he was working on it. And the reports that I was putting out were pertinent for investigative purposes. The smuggling of illegal aliens through the border, the Louisiana deals, right? The, well, everything that I've written was important for the investigations that are ongoing because they weren't out. Now, while many people say, well, the federal government has it and this, the problem that we have with the federal government is that, well, I shouldn't say that. So those that are in the know can tell you that there are a lot of grand juries and a lot of people over the past year and a half, have been testifying. So there are people in the know, the actual people that testifying can't tell they testified because then that would be breaking the promise of not telling testifying and you could go to jail, right? So I think a lot of those testifying things happened, you know, in very specific states for very specific crimes, against very big people. There are sealed indictments, and I'm not saying this out of, I mean, like I said, people that have testified know this stuff. And so this is, this is why I'm, I'm telling you, the people that are delivering you the news have no idea because they do not know what is really going on. Now, justice is slow because when you're putting a formal indictment in, I'll explain it this way. Um, when they got Anthony Weiner's laptop, right? We all know that all those police officers died. Um, we all know, um, you know, he went to jail. Now he's been rewarded with a, with a radio show on the same channel that Rudy Giuliani is on. And I'm like, damn, Katsumitas, like, what is going on here? Playing both sides of defense. But anyway, in that laptop, there were a lot of things. And we all know all these cops that came in contact with it, passed away, and, you know, but justice does roll in a very slow way. You can't just arrest someone because when they're well-networked, you need to arrest everyone connected, okay? Everyone that is connected with that has to be arrested. So let's pretend in that laptop, for figurative purposes, they see that Smurfette is into some really crazy-ass shit. And then they see that hefty Smurf is into some evil shit too. So they investigate Smurfette and then from Smurfette, they find out Hefty Smurf, you know, Sleepy Smurf, Papa Smurf, and all these Smurfs are into some creepy shit. So then when they start investigating Hefty Smurf, 
right? They find out that there's like that, a new version of Smurfette and then more Smurfs that are involved in crazy shit. So then they're investigating those people. And then they get to them and they're like, holy shit, there's like more. And then they're like, wait a minute, but that Smurf goes with the friend of the Papa Smurf who did that Smurf. And then like, you know, and then they connect. This is why it takes long. Because you can't just say, oh, you know, smoking gone, let's go. We'll just figure it out. You got to have it all. Because when you go to criminal court, you have one shot. So you have to make sure you have it all tied together. Right? You can't just say, well, they were working together and look at this picture. And, you know, you don't do half-ass shit. So you have to understand that, yes, the wheels of justice do go slow. Especially in such an intricate network. You think you know the deep state? You have no idea. It's like a bottomless pit. It seems like it goes on forever. And for, you know, and the people that were named in President Trump's RICO case are just low-hanging fruit. To us, they're known, so they're tastier fruit because they're so low-hanging, they're super ripe. You could taste it. But there's a lot more behind that. The methods... How, when, why? I mean, I've told you bottom line. How they do it is money. And who's money? Your money. That's the bottom line. And I'm telling you now what the end of the story is when it comes out. It's going to turn out to be all your money. Now, having said that, I asked you guys to email and um facts, call your congressmen or senators specific questions pertaining to Where's our money? Where's the money? Where's the money? Ask yourself is the long final stretch after this process of bringing about another round of COVID, COVID relief. Tuesday, Tuesday, the House will vote. It will be the last vote. vote. And, and President Biden, Biden says he expects the checks to go out this month to the majority of, Amer- of Americans who have been hard hit by crises brought on by this pandemic. For President Biden, his first hard-fought legislative win is within reach. Was it always pretty? But it was so desperately needed, urgently needed. Tuesday afternoon, the House will finalize the Democrats' $1.9 trillion COVID relief package. We're going to hire more vaccinators, set up more vaccination sites to get the country in a place to get it back to normal. With personal financial help that includes $1,400 direct checks for most adults and children who qualify by income. Unemployment benefits with an extra $300 a week until September 6th and more aid to pay for groceries. This plan is going to make it possible to cut child poverty in half. But after a draining 25-hour all-nighter in the Senate that ended with a straight party-line Democrats-only vote. The new day has come. Republicans complained that billions in the package is not related to COVID. Their top priority wasn't pandemic relief. It was their Washington wish list. 
Saturday, President Biden appeared to take a gentle jab at Donald Trump. I said we we're going to get the government out of the business of battling. Bitch better have my money. Where's our money? So where's the money? So um, that's the question all of us should be asking. Where did this money go? They said that they put it in an international bank. What is the bank called? See, since it's our money, we have every right to ask where it is located. And that's the concern that I have, is that they passed this COVID relief. The majority of it was not for that. It came up with like how to block, uh, you know, FOIA requests and how to do this and how to do that. But it didn't have much on COVID. It had a lot of, we're going to give Iran money. We're going to give North Korea money. Wait, get this. We're going to give Russia money. <laughs> it's like, what? We're going to give Russia money too? Like that's so weird. Uh, that's so weird. Uh, why are we giving Russia money? So there's a lot of things that don't make sense. And this is why I asked all of you to contact them and get information back and watch them skirt the question and not want to answer the question when you ask it direct. I specifically want to know on page so-and-so, section da-da-da, what the bank is. I want to know the name of the bank. And that's the problem. They will not tell you the name of the bank. They won't tell you. Because then you can have the right to ask, right? That's what they want. See, they passed this bill and they gave that their trust fund set up in an international financial institution, right? We don't give a shit about all these trust funds. Let's be straight. They're going to have every single one of them is called a trust fund. Under USAID guidance, under this, under that. We want to know what the international financial institution is called. That's all. We just want to find out. Just right there, in there. It says that the trust funds are appropriated. You know, it says it in the bill. You know, they make funds available for the Department of State, which is USAID, of course, for foreign operations and programs available for a trust fund held in an international financial institution subject to regular notification procedures to committees. We don't want to know that. We want to know what's the name of this institution. Is it called Deutsche Bank? Is it called UBS? Is it called China Bank? What's the bank called? Let me guess. Is it called Green Bank? What's the bank called? Amalgamated Bank. What's the name of the bank? You took my money, my hard-earned money. I'm the taxpayer. I want to know what the name of the bank is. See, that's what we need to ask. We need that documented. And then the next question that we ask is, hey, who are the board of directors of that institution? Do you know? Please name them. And is this institution regulated by the SEC? I mean, after all, they're holding our money. Are they being regulated by some other country with our taxpayer dollars? Is the institution located in the USA? And last but not least, just give us the white papers for these funds in the international financial institution that you so claim. These are very simple and legit questions that will catch them completely off guard. What's the name of the bank? Who 
which is on the board of the bank. Is that bank in the United States of America? And does the SEC regulate it? The this is all you have to do. Ask them the questions. Now, for every single one of you that has sent the question, I ask of you kindly in your state group, please email the date you sent the email, who you sent it to, and that's it. Yeah, because we want to know, bitch better have my money. I want to know where my money is, don't you? That's a lot of money. I want to see it. I want a receipt. You can't just tell me, oh, you know, we gave some money here. I want to see receipts. I asked you for the name of the bank. And then you tell me that you gave it to so-and-so. All right. Now show me the transaction receipt. See, simple questions. You don't even have to, don't do the dilly-dallying. I saw someone got a response from from Kristen Cinema. right? I'm going to go through it. But I was like, name of the bank. Where's the name of the bank? I want to see the name of the bank. I want to see the name of the bank. We got to see the name of the bank. I mean, we can't just, oh, yeah, you know, we gave money here, gave money there. Great. Thank you. Oh, let's. Oops. Thank you. Let me see if I can pull this down. So let me read this. Senator Cinema's office says, thank you for contacting me about the global response to the coronavirus pandemic. I always appreciate hearing from ours done in this uh, on uh, facing our state and country. It's important that we have conversations on topics that matter to you and your family. And I hope you'll continue to support me, contribute or whatever turn out for me. Your perspectives are just, okay, this got cut off a little bit. COVID-19 remains, okay. She's reminding us how it's a pandemic. Uh, let's see, for decades, the United States has invested in the economic development and security of other nations. Like, we give a fuck. The foreign is, but we left Africa out of the equation. That's so weird. So the foreign, but we apparently give them money, but they're still like, I don't know, decades behind. But topic for another time. The Foreign Assistance Act tells you, oh, you know, they help all these countries, yada, yada. Song and dance. For the fiscal year of 2021, Congress appropriated 44.22 Million and for foreign operation, those weren't the questions. Next, in March 2021, USA donated two billion dollars to Gavi, mm, an organization working to distribute vaccine globally. Wait, hold on a second. So they took our money, two billion dollars of it, and gave it to a company named Gavi to distribute vaccines globally. But we couldn't get vaccines, apparently, distributed in the United States. Do you guys remember that? you guys remember that? Huh. I would say that's misuse of funds. But let's just keep going. On May 17, 2021, President Biden affirmed that the United States remains committed to leading. We don't give a shit about this. Next, on June 24th, Senator James Risch of Idaho introduced Senate Bill 2297, the International Pandemic Preparedness. No one's voting for that guy again, right? A COVID response act. This legislation would require USA, the State Department, National Security to work with the president. Nobody cares about that. Okay, so the answer was not there, right? Looking at this response, the bank name was not there. Is it regulated by the SEC was not there. You need to keep pounding them and you need to make it specific. Please don't give me the song and dance. Don't give me how amazing things are. I want simple response. Who's the bank that you um, 
that you identify in the COVID-19 relief bill under that section that I put on Telegram? Where's it located, right? Does the SEC regulate it and who's on the board? That's all we need to know. The fact that they, listen, this is for something later, but we need all this information. So if you email them, keep record of the day you email them. After 15 days, you send them another email and say, hey, I'm referring to the email within this email. You haven't responded yet. You give them a full 30 days. After 30 days, if they haven't responded to you, I want you guys to let your guardian know so they can take note in every state who contacted their person. It's Gavi, G-A-V-I, who contacted their person and did not get a response, okay? So that is how you need to get it done. This is highly specific and it'll make sense later. This is step one and we're doing this publicly. So that's kind of weird because they're going to see us coming. Very specific question. That's it. That's it. Just who's the bank? Where is it located? Is it SEC regulated and who's on the board? Four simple questions that they should be able to answer. Since they voted, they said it's going to an international financial institution. I want the name. Is, is it in the United States? I don't want branches. I want to know where the buck is headquartered. Right? Now I can tell, oh, it's HSBC. Oh, that's headquartered out of Hong Kong. Let's start talking. Oh, it's the Bank of Scotland. Shit, that does not sound. Bank of Scotland tells me where it is. TD, that Toronto, that's Canada. I want to know the bank and where it's located and if the SEC regulates it because that's step one. See, we're going to come at them with a series of questions because what we're going to do is going to blow the top off of everything. You guys tired of paying taxes? Hmm? You tired of paying taxes? You tired? So am I. Especially when they give two million, two billion to Gavi to distribute vaccines everywhere. And if you remember, Biden was like, oh, we're trying to give vaccines. We're Americans. But you just gave $2 billion for everyone else and you left Americans last. Not like we wanted them, but let's be straight, right? Let's be fair. So it's pretty interesting. Four, four questions. Four questions. Taxation without representation is theft. So let's just leave it. So um, I put it on my telegram. I put the screenshot from the bill, the section where I underlined it. All you have to say is in the COVID-19 relief bill, you mentioned that all the trust funds are being housed at an international financial institution. I want the name of the institution. I want its location. I want to know if it's SEC regulated. And I want to know who's on the board. Now, the fifth question that you can ask, which would be great, is I just want all the white papers for the trust fund, which Cinema didn't even give you. So this was a politician's answer, which tells you they don't want to tell you which bank it is. Pay attention. Because once you know the bank, then we get to step two. And they don't want us to get to step two, right? Because once they don't answer, or we may get an answer from someone that's kind of fed up and maybe a real conservative and a real American might actually give us the answer, which would be incredible, right? Super incredible. But what we need to understand is if they don't give us the answer, there's a way we get it. And then after that, they can't stop it. 
See, they're talking about a reset, right? The new world order, a global reset, a financial reset. Okay, you want a reset? Let's do it on our term. Hmm? You want to crash our economy? You want to cause food shortages? I think we talked about that over a year ago, didn't we? Hmm? Obviously, I told you that in other contexts. I still need to stay safe, right? But the point of the matter here is we need to start taking action to take control of everything that is to come. The only way you take control of it is by getting in the driver's seat. And we, the people, need to get into the driver's seat as soon as possible. When it comes to our pockets, our money, our health, our families, our jobs, our borders, our national security. Because right now we have a bunch of idiots that run around and can't do anything. So the only way that we can fix this is by taking control. You know, it's like you come to me and you're like, um, you know, you need to pay me money from your salary. Because I'm going to do all this stuff because I'm elected. I have the power to just make decisions that you may not like. But I'm elected and I can do that. And that's true. That's the way it's set up for now. But me as the person and you as the person that's giving the money has the right to say, well, you do have the right to spend it as you wish, right? To good causes like you say. But I have the right to look at the book. I need to see the receipt. And the money that you didn't give away, I need to see how you're growing that responsibly. You don't just leave it in a bank. right? You invest it. You make sure you protect my money. See, there's laws about that. See, this is how we think again, think ahead. But this will happen when we have our, you know, you see, we're just getting the, the legwork done now. It takes a couple of weeks to get all this set up. Got to get our board up. Got to get everything up. And then we roll it out. And then we get our members on board. And we're like, okay, let's take care of our tax situation. Oh, stop paying taxes? No. <laughs> we have the right to know where the money is. And we want to know where the bank is. So this is why I put the all hands on deck. See, asking for an audit is one thing because then they'll just appoint the people that are supposed to audit. Kind of like how USAID is audited every year and every year they're found in a deficit of like half a billion dollars and nobody gives a shit. And the treasury will then audit and say, yeah, that looks good. Check, 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 check. No, we don't want that. We want to go to simple shit. Money in, money out. Where'd that money go out? What receipt is that? Oh, you gave that to Pakistan for lesbian, gay, bisexuals. Great. Let me see that. When did you pay that? Okay, that day. Hey, Pakistan, can you show me where you um, got this money for your gays? Can I take a look? That's how we check. One by one. See, once we can see that the money they say they're putting somewhere isn't somewhere, kind of like unions. Kind of like Social Security, right? But here we're following our dollar, what we paid in taxes. Once we find one penny out of place, that's a big problem. That is a very big problem. So that is where we're going to focus on. So 
ask those questions, get them to your guardians in your state rooms. And for those of you in Puerto Rico and Guam, you know the drill. And um, let's get the legwork going. Because I'm telling you, the minute this is all up and running, we're hitting the ground running. Because I already know the answer. We just need a chain of custody. And that's the thing. We need a chain of custody. We need to show that we asked the question. We need to show that we either got the answer or we were declined. Then we file a lawsuit against Congress for obfuscating and not providing transparency and giving this information. And we reinforce that lawsuit by showing all the names of the people that contacted every single congressman that told them, fuck all of answering simple fucking questions. And this is one by one. So tedious, so slow. But see, this is how law enforcement works. It takes one after the other. So obviously, I can't just go in there. Kind of like I can't just go and say, well, the Halderman report totally justifies my affidavit. Trust me or pull that shit out of a hat because that's not in the proper chain of custody. Right. So if I received a document like the declaration, the longer one that no one had ever seen publicly that I filed, but Pete Scam Tilly was not impressed. Like, who the fuck is trying to impress you? Like, get out of my face. Guys, that bothered me so much. Like, I was like, who the fuck is this dude all up in my DMs? And then he goes and threatens me. It's like, what? Anyway. So, <laughs> guys, that bothered me so much. Like, it blew my mind. Like, he was buried at the bottom of my text. And then I see, and he popped up because he threatened me. And I was like, what the fuck is this? Did he just threaten me? Sorry, that really bothered me. It got under my skin. And considering that he's a fed, you know, loser. Anyway, I digressed right there for a second. A lot of seconds, I digress. That really irritated me. And I'm a little bit concerned when someone says to watch my sex. I might go after my kid. So obviously when I go to Ohio, I have to go to sheriff and get a restraining order on him or something. I don't know. My lawyers will guide me. And, and you know what? I wouldn't have amazing lawyers if it wasn't for you, for you guys, for being part of my subscribe star family and my locals family and whatever stickers I get from Rumble when I get them. Um, because uh, that's the way it is. This is. <laughs> I know I should get a really hot security guard. That's like eye candy, preferably mid forties. Doesn't have to be super built. Has to be funny. No. Just, I'm joking. I wanted to go funny. All right. So I wanted to shift gears and go into nukes. So um, I'm going to leave it at that. Let's get um, let's get the um, questions out. This is the first step. And, you know, um, once we get those questions out, we go to the next step. And um, by the time we get those questions out, which is about 30 days, I'm hoping that our union is set up. So that way we can collectively pull it together and file the lawsuit, which should be on a, you know, expedited um, way because of elections. And we want to be informed voters, of course. So that gives us the right to expedite requests. And it's pretty simple questions. You're referencing the bank. You should know what the bank's name is. 
You should know if they're a CC regulator because that's your responsibility. You should know who's on the board because that's your responsibility too. And you should know if they're located in the United States. You know, it would be really weird if it was a foreign bank holding all our money. <laughs> like, I don't know, the World Bank or European Bank. And it's like, mm, why isn't it in America? Mm, those aren't regulated by the SEC. Mm, now I have a problem. You see, these are all good questions that we should have uh, answers to. They're quite simple. We don't need to be pushing too hard and forward. We need to keep it simple. And as I saw with Kristen Cinema's response, obviously not keeping it simple, obviously dancing around the question. Actually, you know what? I should find that post and forward it to Telegram so people can read it. There you go. So that was Kristen Cinema's um, response. I just forwarded it to um, Telegram group so you guys can read it. So um, shifting gears, I'm thinking uh, we need a fun song. Let's see. I'm feeling fun. Um. Or a mumble, so I could play whatever. Um, what comes to mind? Ding. See, I didn't even line anything up. Let me think. Why do I look fuzzy? Oh, when I'm away from the camera. Um, look at that. I'm drawing a blank. Let me look at the chat. Oh, gosh. Thanks, Jens. Thanks, um, uh, Benny. Thank you, Wonderland. Um, yeah, that's right. We should sing the theme song. That's right. You know, I want to watch that. Oh, it's a long thing. I don't want to watch it. I do, though. I'll probably watch it on my own. Let's see him perform live. Wait, let's see him perform live at Oprah while we're listening to him sing the theme song. Here we go. Rico. Suave. Rico. When we come back, we're going to talk about January 1st versus March 25th, which we're back, by the way. Um, you looked fine in that video, didn't you? I'll cut. But what I um, saw when I was looking up the song to play with the video, there was a documentary that was 44 minutes long, The Rise and Fall. And I don't know how he fell. I think he's a pastor now or something, right? Oh, my gosh. Thank you for the, what do you call those? Rants, stickers, Jens and Neil and Bonds and Tara and Brian and Patriot Girl. Oh, by the way, I just want to tell you guys. Um you know, I'm going to be on the ballot in November, so I'm going to have a lot of campaigning to do. So I'm going to try to figure out um, my um, 
show situation if I'm going to be traveling around Ohio. I don't know if I really have to because they're doing the campaigning for me, but we'll see. Um, I just want to tell you because it's not done. It's going to be super fun. Um, now, I guess, you know, I just had to do it. Thank you, Julie. I um, just had to do what I have to go through the motions. And, um, you know, election integrity is a big deal because that is how we hinder other governments from being free and choosing their own leaders. And this has been going on for eons. They used to call them kings, queens, and emperors, and sultans, and whatnot. Um, you know, then they would just stick to, we're royalty. Tough. And then they went into the whole, yeah, we elect you. And it's like, you're really not electing. Because if you had a choice, you know, sometimes when they made the mistake of allowing, you know, people with big mouths to come out, you know, they'd get rid of them quite quickly. <laughs> You've seen that in history before, not just in the United States, but across the world. So continuing on, I thought it would be important for us to kind of revisit, um, you know, what uh, January 1st, why is January 1st New Year and not March 25th anymore? Because it used to be March 25th, and now it's January 1st. We're going back to the calendar discussion because that's quite important, right? It's actually very important, and people don't talk about it enough. Since today is Annunciation Day and Greek Independence Day, which, by the way, for those people that don't know, in 1421, after the last emperor was, like, offed, um, uh, the Greeks were slaves to the Ottoman Empire for 400 years. And do you know what happened? So the Greeks, because they had become, um, they, they were resistant to the union of churches, deserts, and we talked about this, how they changed the Bible, how they changed religion, how they weaponized religion. Like we're talking like in the 1400s, right? Um, the Greeks were, the emperors of Greece were like, no, we're not touching it anymore. We fiddled with it too much. You know, I think it was a mistake trying to embrace their Jesus and do it our way. Um, I just have to say thank you to um, Brian again and JM and Horseman. Bill. thank you. Um, uh, but what happened was the, the last Greek, uh, the last three Greek emperors that were, um, present uh were reluctant well no the last three were not the the third to the, the last so it's like one and then two and then the last one so the the second before last um he had asked for help from the western nations with the ottomans because greece the empire was falling uh to the uh fanatic um the 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 ottomans and they were being slaughtered and he needed assistance, just like he assisted the other nations. He requested assistance. And they said, not if you don't agree to the union of churches. So he said no. Um, and then the, the second to last, the, the, the one right before the last one, said, all right, we're going to do this. We're going to rearrange the Bible again. We're game. We're going to play with you. We'll do whatever you guys want. And then... Um, and you guys can actually look this up when you look into like kings and queens of Greece and emperors. He even fucking says it on Wikipedia. And um, I just wanted to say, so the, the emperor right before the last emperor of Greece agreed that they would modify the Bible again 
and change the way religion is and cut new things out. And then the last one also said it, but by that time, the West was like, fuck the Greeks. They're too resistant on this religious shit. So they allowed them to be slaves for 400 years. And on March 25th, 1821, uh, the Greeks um, got their independence from the Ottomans. And that's because um, there were leaders that were fearless. Um, they were tortured. One of them was actually cooked alive on a spit. Um, and they kept moving the capital of their country uh, in order to evade. So that was like 400 years, just saying. So um, I just thought I'd tell you that. So today's that day. And you should look into the history because that'll tell you a lot about um, history of Christianity, too, because that played a big role. Uh, so now let's get to what I wanted to kind of bring to you in regards to, you know, why it's no longer um, January 25th. And it's, uh, I mean, March 25th and it's January 1st. Let's go. Have you ever wondered why we celebrate New Year on January 1st? Well, it wasn't always so. There's been a lot of toing and froing over the past 2000 years before this date was consolidated. Welcome to Intrigued Mind, where today we will go back in time to discover why January 1st is the day that we celebrate the coming of a brand new year. The earliest recorded celebrations of New Year's were made by the Babylonians in around 2000 BCE. These ancient people held a festival that went on for several days in honor of the rebirth of the natural world. They called it Ekitu, and it took place at the beginning of spring. By the time of Rome's legendary founder, Romulus, the Romans had developed their own calendar based on the phases of the moon. It is believed that the Romans developed their lunar calendar using knowledge that came to them from the Babylonians and the Greeks. However, this 305-day-long calendar, which was based on the 10-month-long phases of the moon, did not match with the solar year, which at 365 days ran closer to 12 months. At this point in time, the Romans celebrated New Year during the vernal equinox, which is one of the two days each year when day and night are of the same length and generally falls around March 20th in the Northern Hemisphere. Enter Numa Pompilius who, according to legend, reigned from 715 to 673 BCE as the second king of Rome after Romulus. It is Numa Pompilius who is credited with the establishment of a fixed calendar. This calendar used Calends, which was the first day of the month, and is where we get the word calendar from, Nonus, which was the ninth day before the Ides of each month, and Ides, which was the day that fell roughly in the middle of each month. The leftover months that had not previously been accounted for in the old calendar were simply known as winter, and the calendar year commenced in March which coincided with the start of spring. Numa Pompilius added two extra months so that the length of the calendar now matched the length of a solar year. The first month was named Janus, after the Roman god of time, transitions, beginnings, and endings. The second month was named Februarius, in reference to the purification ritual that the Romans undertook on the 15th of February each year. Thus, the calend was the first day of January, which was the first month. So it made sense that the first day of the new year was on January 1st, this concept, which was loosely adhered to in Rome, was consolidated in the year 153 BCE, when January 1st was chosen as the day on which the new consuls of Rome were inaugurated. This was during the years of the Roman Republic, when the position of consul was the highest-ranking political office in Rome. So, it was an important day for the Romans. By the time 46 BCE rolled around, there was a new sheriff in town, so to speak. Just don't mention the Ides of March. And Julius Caesar was the head of the Roman Empire. Caesar worked with Greek mathematicians to fix an error in the calendar. There were too many leap years, so these were reduced to one every four years to use up the leftover time from the 365 days that made up one year. 
which was 0.25 days. After this amendment, it took 455 days to get things back on track, but they got there in the end. January 1st was still considered the new year, and with the expansion of the Roman Empire, this custom was adopted throughout Caesar's vast lands. Once the Roman Empire collapsed and Christianity took hold throughout Europe from the 4th century CE onwards, the custom of welcoming the beginning of a new year on January 1st was cast aside in favor of a date that was sacred to this new religion, March 25th, the day of the Annunciation, when the Archangel Gabriel appeared before the Virgin Mary to tell her of the Immaculate Conception. Indeed, the liturgical calendar was now the most important calendar to Christians. January 1st was not an important feast day for this religion, so they did not mark the coming of the new year with this date. This liturgical calendar was predominant throughout Europe in the early medieval period in terms of special days, used alongside the Julian calendar to mark the passage of one year. It was not until the year 1582 that the Pope at the time, Pope Gregory VIII, decided that the Julian calendar needed an overhaul. Up to this point, the number of leap days in the Julian calendar was still causing problems, especially at Easter time, which was supposed to fall on the Sunday after the first full moon after the vernal equinox. Incidentally, this was the same time that the ancient Babylonians celebrated Akutu, the festival of rebirth. Just as Easter is the time of Jesus' resurrection, Christianity always tried to match their important times of the year with pagan celebrations to make the transition from paganism to Christianity more appealing. But that is a story for another video. Back to Pope Gregory. He had his calendar printed and issued in a papal bull, which meant it was canon law, and therefore had to be adhered to. This papal bull stated that January 1st was once again to be considered the first day of the new year, and it listed all of the feast days in the Christian, now Catholic, calendar in order from January 1st up until December 31st. However, by this point in time, the Catholic Church was not the only Christian superpower in town. Italy, Spain, and Portugal had no problems getting on board with Pope Gregory's new calendar, but Protestant countries shirked the use of the Gregorian calendar, because why should they adhere to something issued by a Catholic Pope? So the Protestant countries of Europe, Britain, and the British colonies stuck with the Julian calendar. Incidentally, even today, the Eastern Orthodox Church still uses the Julian calendar. Finally, in the year 1751, the New Style Act calendar was issued in Britain, which declared that New Year's Day would be celebrated on January 1st. This calendar was an act of the British Parliament. Lord Chesterfield was the man behind it, and he had the good sense to see that it was time for Britain and the British Empire to adopt the Gregorian calendar. This calendar was also known as the Chesterfield Act, or the British Calendar Act of 1751. It was declared that this act was for regulating the commencement of the year and for correcting the calendar now in use. The New Style Act calendar changed the start of the legal year from March 25th to January 1st. It kept Christmas Day on December 25th and acknowledged that Easter was a movable feast. In 1753, it was all smooth sailing, and after a few thousand years of argy-bargy, most of the world was finally on the same page. Whew. Now, that's not to say that the whole world celebrates the New Year on January 1st. The Chinese still adhere to a Lunar New Year and celebrate the New Year on the day of the first new moon for that year. Having said that, the Chinese do celebrate January 1st as a national holiday, in keeping with the Western world. So, in effect, they have two New Year celebrations. And in Ethiopia and Eritrea, New Year, known as Nkutatash, is celebrated on the 11th of September. So now that you know why we celebrate New Year on January 1st, thanks to Numa Pompilius, Pope Gregory VIII, and Lord Chesterfield, let's take a look at some wonderful and woeful things that have taken place in the Western world on this most auspicious of dates, other than the beginning of a new year. Number 1. In 404, the last gladiatorial fight took place in Rome. They had been banned by a Christian emperor after a monk was stoned to death by the crowd for trying to stop a gladiatorial fight some years earlier. 
Number two, in 1660, English civil servant Samuel Pepys started his diary, which goes on to be the most valuable written record of life in England in the 17th century. Number three, in 1863, Abraham Lincoln freed 3.5 million enslaved African Americans under the Emancipation Proclamation. Number four, in 1892, Ellis Island opened, thus paving the way for 12 million immigrants to come to the United States. Number five, in 1901, all of the colonies and territories of the Great Southern Land formed a federation, making Australia one nation. Number six, in 1962, four young Englishmen went for an audition at Decca Records, but they were passed over for another band, with the label stating that they have no future in show business. These rejects were called the Beatles. Number seven, in 1983, a computer network used by universities and research labs called ARPANET changed its connection protocols and the internet was born. January 1st is a time of renewed hope in the future, when we wipe the slate clean and start all over again with the best of intentions to have a successful year. So, wherever you are and however you celebrate New Year, let's raise a glass and toast to the, the fascinating, fascinating story of why many, many of us celebrate New Year on January 1st. Fascinating. So it's March 25th or January 1st or whatever day you want. Goes with the seasons. Could be when the leaves fall that you prep for the new year. Could be when the flowers bloom that you prep and you call it new year. Who knows? Winners command history and they command time, as you can see. So time is really just a perspective and you just follow it because someone says so. Quite interesting. Who knows, right? Who knows? Now let's go into Uani. See, what's really weird is, is that today, Korea, out of all countries, releases a Hollywood-style missile launch thing. But don't worry, it's happened before. But this time, this time, it may be something sudden. T take a look at this video they released. It's quite fascinating and quite incredible. And it's um, pretty good production. North Korea released a bizarre Hollywood-style video this week, promoting the country's recent missile test launch. The missile sizzle aired on North Korean state television. It features North Korea's so-called supreme leader, Kim Jong-un, sporting a cool leather jacket and cool sunglasses. Flanked by officers, Kim strolls slow-mo out of a military installation, like they're in Peaky Blinders or Reservoir Dogs. The music gets more urgent, and there are some fast cuts between the trio as they look at their watches. Then Kim gives the signal, and the big missile is slowly wheeled out of the building. There's some more walking and watch-looking. That blinking red light can only mean one thing. The officers seemingly shout the missile into ignition, which the video shows from lots of different angles. Then the mood shifts to one of celebration. There's a class photo, with Kim in the center of it all. And of course, more cool slow motion walking. The self-congratulatory piece of propaganda came after North Korea test launched its largest intercontinental ballistic missile this week. 
That missile, called Wasongpo-17, landed in the Sea of Japan. It was the DPRK's first intercontinental ballistic missile test since 2017. Experts believe an ICBM of this sort could reach the United States and could carry a nuclear payload. The missile test was condemned by several nations. Japan's prime minister called it an unacceptable act of violence. The White House described it as a brazen violation of several UN Security Council resolutions. And South Korea responded by test firing several of its own missiles. This is Inside Edition Digital. So, North Korea tested another missile. And that, um, you know, it was a big deal and this is a problem and we have issues with them. Well, I would like us to go back to, what is this? I think it's uh, nine years ago. And I want you to see this from Voice of America. country's latest nuclear test is being publicly, publicly celebrated. celebrated. But as worldwide condemnation pours in, there's also the recognition the test goes beyond the saber-rattling of Pyongyang. U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry. This is about proliferation. And this is also about Iran, because they're linked. Experts say tough talk alone is unlikely to resonate in Iran. So what Tehran does next may very well depend on how the world backs up similar talk to North Korea. If you want to prevent Iran from getting the bomb, you have to take a hard line against North Korea. Former U.S. National Security Council member Raymond Tanter says so far, Western resolve has not been strong enough. If you allow North Korea to get away with militarizing, with um, three nuclear tests, with any number of missile tests, that signals to Iran that a nuclear-armed North Korea can get away with murder. But, and therefore, Iran will not be deterred from getting the bomb. There are indications Iran and North Korea are helping each other, having signed a deal late last year to cooperate on a variety of scientific endeavors. That type of collaboration has been a concern in Washington for years, and some analysts now warn it's clear. Iran sharing its expertise on uranium enrichment in exchange for Pyongyang's superior missile technology. That strategy of cooperation is not without wide-ranging risks. Brookings Institution scholar Michael O'Hanlon. In regard to Iran, what we're seeing is the military facilities can be, or the nuclear facilities can be identified. They can be theoretically attacked with a limited operation. Iran has repeatedly denied its nuclear program is for anything other than civilian purposes. At his State of the Union address, U.S. President Barack Obama warned Tehran will only be allowed to push so far. We will do what is necessary to prevent them from getting a nuclear weapon. How that will be done may depend on the outcome of talks between world powers and Iran expected later this month. Jeff Selden, VOA News, Washington. So as you saw, that report was about a nuclear test by North Korea, but then it evolved into chit-chat about Iran, and you're just like, I'm so confused. Didn't we just say that North Korea tested a nuke, and you're upset, and now we're talking about Iran. 
so weird. Let's go back nine years again and watch this CNN report about Iran and North Korea. So weird. And, and you know, and you're going to start to get where I'm going with this. Okay. You're going you're gonna to get this. been portrayed as members of a so-called rogues gallery but now iran and north korea have a new deal to team up on science and technology and that's raising serious concerns because the united states has long accused both of them of teaming up on advanced weapons our brian todd is digging into the story for us uh, brian what are you learning Wolf, we're learning that the North Koreans will be able to give Iran crucial help in developing a nuclear weapons capability. This might make even, this might even make actually former President George W. Bush seem a little bit prophetic relating to a speech he gave 10 years ago that drew a lot of criticism at the time. They were two-thirds of a notorious list. North Korea is a regime arming with missiles and weapons of mass destruction while starving its citizens. Iran aggressively pursues these weapons and exports terror. States like these and their terrorist allies constitute an axis of evil. A phrase that got former President George W. Bush accused of exaggerating threats and destroying potential intelligence partnerships. Now, Iranian media reports that Iran and North Korea have signed a new deal, and it came with a tweak to the West. Iran's supreme leader quoted as saying the two countries have common enemies since the arrogant powers cannot bear independent governments. The Iranians say they'll work with North Korea on scientific and technological projects. What does that mean to you? The fact that North Korea's nuclear program is more advanced than that of Iran's program. Uh, North Korea is known to have a better centrifuge program, uh, for example, for enriching uranium. That's the cause for concern that North Korea could help Iran enhance this nuclear weapons program. Analyst Ali Reza Nader of the RAND Corporation points out North Korea has already helped Iran acquire ballistic missile capability. Nader and a former UN nuclear inspector tell us North Korea could also help the Iranians tap into a new market for technology and components that could help them accelerate their nuclear program even further. That new market? China. Iran has consistently denied that it's pursuing nuclear weapons, but recent reports say there's another indication that a weaponization program is moving ahead. The reemergence of a mysterious scientist named Mohsin Fakhrizadeh. The Wall Street Journal, which first reported this story, says he's Iran's version of Robert Oppenheimer, the physicist who headed America's push for a nuclear bomb in the 1940s. Experts say Fakhrizadeh drew into the shadows after some of his funding was cut a few years ago. But according to an IAEA report, he now runs a facility north of Tehran, engaging in activities that, quote, would be highly relevant to a nuclear weapon program. There are no photos of Fakhrizadeh readily available. The Iranians have repeatedly stonewalled U.N. nuclear officials from gaining access to him. Nader says there's a reason they're shielding Fakhrizadeh. He's also a prime target for assassination, uh, so uh, we would assume that he's under heavy protection. That's a reference to at least three Iranian nuclear scientists who've been killed in recent years, all by the same method. Assailants placed magnetic bombs on their cars as they drove to work. Iran has blamed Israel and the U.S. for those attacks. Both countries have reportedly denied that. Just last week, the Iranians displayed the cars of those scientists at the opening of a summit of non-aligned nations that they hosted, along with the pictures of those scientists. Wolf, it was kind of a strange display, but uh, pretty powerful there, as you can see. 
Um, so um, assassinations. Well, we just had senators and presidents and vice presidents call for assassinations. Kind of looks like we did it. And the Iranians are like, oh, hold on a second. You have nukes, but we're not allowed to have nukes because you say we can't have nukes, even though you gave us nukes to enrich for you and everyone else. And then you're going to blow up our scientists. And then you're asking us why we're not revealing their identity. I mean, let's be fair, right? Let's be fair. But let's just go back five years now and take a look at some more stuff that'll start to make a little bit more sense. Um, let me see. Is it this one? Because it's quite, um, yeah, this one. There we go. It's quite strange how North Korea and Iran are kind of always talk interchangeably when they talk about weapons and, and nukes. And today we saw news about North Korea and funny enough, um, the relationship between North Korea and Iran is pretty alarming. Both are arguably friends, and they both have a really big enemy in common. Even though Iran and the U.S. did finally find some common ground on the nuclear issue last summer, there's still this lingering question that people don't really want to ask out loud. Is North Korea quietly building a nuclear bomb for Iran? The two countries actually go way, way back to just after Iran's Islamic Revolution. The freshly minted republic was strapped for military hardware, and Pyongyang filled that void. Then came claims of collusion on long-range ballistic missiles and reports that you had forged a sort of nuclear pact. In 1993, Iran was accused of bankrolling North Korea's nuclear program to the tune of $500 million in exchange for nuclear technology and equipment. Fast forward to 2010, and a leaked cable alleges that North Korea sold Iran 19 advanced missiles, both capable of carrying a nuclear warhead and striking targets in Western Europe. So talk of this pairing has been going on for a while, but the Iran nuclear deal inadvertently dialed up the threat of this friendship. Iran now has access to billions of dollars, money that some fear will be poured into nuclear R&D in the cash-poor hermit kingdom. Even though a Congressional Research Service report out earlier this year claimed there was no evidence of nuclear collusion between the two, others maintain that Iran could outwardly be following all the rules, while North Korea remains its quiet nuclear proxy. Fast forward eight years to when Iran is allowed to get going on its own nuclear program, and it theoretically wouldn't have missed a beat. So... Here we go. Now they're really good friends and they're exchanging information. But you know what's funny? That, um, you know, let's just watch another report of the missile tests that North Korea did just from another channel. Take a listen. Has fired a long range missile in what is viewed as, as a major escalation. It's the first time it has launched an intercontinental ballistic missile since 2017. Martha Raditz is tracking the latest for us. Good morning, Martha. Good morning, Robin. We are in Poland. The president will be here tomorrow. The focus, of course, on the crisis in Ukraine. But this morning, it is a major escalation in tensions a half a world away. North Korea launching that intercontinental ballistic missile the first time in nearly five years. And this missile traveled higher and farther than the one launched in 2017, landing just 100 miles off the coast of Japan. Last time North Korea launched a missile like this, Kim Jong-un 
Pentagon said it could reach the continental U.S. with a nuclear weapon atop it. Diplomacy, of course, has been completely stalled since Donald Trump's failed attempts at a nuclear agreement. This morning, the White House strongly condemning the launch, yet saying diplomacy is still possible, but this is only one of many crises the White House is now confronting. Whit? Another level of concern here, Martha. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Another level of concern. I mean, we have a leader that can't tie a shoe, and now they're concerned. Well, let's take a listen to what Uwani, Uwani Senior Advisor Barry Rosen said about, well, just listen. Words matter, and it's important we pay attention to what they say. As a former, former U.S. Embassy's press attaché, Barry Rosen was one of the 52 Americans held for 444 days. He tweeted, I am starting a hunger strike this week in Vienna, 41 years after my release, to demand the release of all hostages being held by Iran. And Washington Post columnist Jason Rezaian was also released this week, six years ago. Yesterday, he tweeted, Six years ago today, I was freed after being held hostage in Iran for 544 days. I was taken from prison, boarded a flight leaving Tehran, and reunited with my family. It was a day of celebration and relief. Jason is also the host of the podcast 544 Days about his ordeal. Barry and Jason join me both now. Thank you so much, gentlemen, for being here. We appreciate your time. Barry, let me start with you. You're heading to Vienna, where talks have been going on to try and revive the deal that limited Iran's nuclear program. Why a hunger strike, and why now? Well, you know, it's, it's been, uh, on Thursday, it will be 41 years since my release. I felt very strongly, after giving much thought, that, you know, I need to do something to to free the hostages. It's been four decades that, that this has been going on. Iran has been taking hostages as uh, bargaining chips and pawns, uh, destroying the lives of people. And, and mo- mo- mostly for me, it's the issue of the human being above the political situation. And I wanna see that our allies, uh, America and our allies push Iran to say, look, we're not going to have a deal unless all the hostages are released. I think it's about time. This has been going on too long. Jason, you wrote in the Washington Post last week that if there is to be a return to the nuclear deal, the international community must use all tools available to alter the regime's other destructive activities. And I imagine you're including hostage taking among those activities. Are you optimistic this could happen? Well, first of all, Larry, thank you for having Barry and I on to talk about this important subject. And I I want to wish Barry um, great good luck and health. Um, he's been an advocate for the release of hostages for many years. Uh, yeah, I, I think that, that there is hope. Uh, we have deterrence available to us uh, in international law and here in the U.S. in, in our legal code uh, to, to punish hostage taking, um, a deterrent that we haven't been actively using. So I think that there is the the uh, the means and the resources to address this issue, whether there's the political will or not, is another question. And let me pick up on that, um, Barry, because the U.S. and its allies can't even get Iran to agree on the current nuclear agreement deal. So do you think there's that will to go further to press Iran on hostages and other human rights abuses? Well, I think one... one uh conceivable way for me is to embarrass Iran. That's why I'm doing this this hunger strike. 
Iranian culture and civilization has been talking about in literature and art about the, the civilized Iranian uh, country. And Iran has a long history of, of working with um, guests. The idea of the guest in the country, it should be esteemed rather than being punished. So I, my aim, I think, is to try to free Ira Iranian, American Iranians and, and European Iranians because I want Iran to understand what they're doing is adverse to their own culture and history. And Jason, you have an, you've been an advocate for other hostages in Iran since you were released six years ago. You have a thrilling podcast, which sounds kind of like a guide for um, families that have relatives that are detained. Do you think um, hunger strikes are effective? And what do you recommend for these families to do? Well, I think, uh, you know, my situation, uh, and I would, I, would, I would say that the situation that Barry and, and the 51 other American hostages were in over 40 years ago, would indicate that raising awareness, however you can raise awareness on these cases, uh, is is the way to go about winning the release of of loved ones, whether it's by Iran or other governments who are unfortunately doing this increasingly. Um, I, I think, unfortunately, most governments would uh, urge citizens not to publicly advocate for their loved ones being held hostage, uh, with the justification being that doing so uh, puts their, their loved one at more peril uh, or potentially raises the, the cost of bringing them home. Evidence uh, you know, does not bear that out. Um, I, I think engaging with, with adversaries who take uh, our citizens hostages is really the only way to get these people back. And I think Barry's right. I mean, you know, we have to shame Iran, but also teach them that the costs and consequences of doing this and continuing to do this have been extremely detrimental to their country's economy uh, and, and far outweigh whatever gains they think they've achieved by doing this. You have a platform, um, Jason, writing for the Washington Post and being an advocate, like I mentioned, for detained families. But have you been in contact with any officials of the U.S. government about what more can be done and what they're doing? Yeah, I'm constantly in contact not only with families and other advocacy uh, wings and organizations like the one uh, that Barry works with, Hostage Aid uh, Worldwide, uh, but also with members of the current uh, U.S. administration, the previous administration, and the Obama administration. Uh, and I, I think that this is a work in progress. The, the issue has long been deemed one that can't be solved, that will be with us forever, I think that, that we can do much better than this. I don't think that that's true. For me, there are two priorities in, in, in these hostage matters. One, the, the speedy and safe return of our fellow citizens being held hostages. And two, figuring out deterrence to make this practice more difficult, more costly, uh, and deter um, uh, other regimes from doing this in the future. And I think that the conversation has started. Barry's been a big part of that as well as other friends and allies of ours in and out of government. And you mentioned in your tweet thread that hostage taking has become something that lots of autocratic governments around the world now do quite frequently. Uh, what about you, Barry? Have you been in contact with any U.S. government officials about your position and well, your impending hunger strike? Yes, I, I have written both to the Iranian delegation in Vienna and to the special envoy, Robert Malley, in uh, Vienna, too. So I'm trying to set up meetings with them, and I hope uh, my message will be direct to, to both of them. 
Iran has to release the hostages immediately. The United States should not sign any agreement with Iran until all the hostages are released. And I really would like to add that if there is a signing of an agreement down the road, that if Iran takes hostages once again, the agreement is null and void. We talked at the beginning of this uh, segment about uh, Nazanin Zaghari Radcliffe and her husband, mm -hmm. Richard Radcliffe, uh, ending his hunger strike, um, Barry, after three weeks. He was outside the British Home Office um, in London. For how long are you willing to do this? I really don't know. I mean, uh, look, at my age, it's 77. You know, I, I have no idea how long I can sustain it. But I will, la I will last as long as I possibly can. For me, it's important to do it to support the hostages and their families. They've gone through grievous human rights violations, and I think I can do something to assist them. My experience and my, the, the imprisonment that I went through and the psychological torture that I went through, I don't want any other person to go through that again. All right, we're going to leave it there. Many thanks, uh, Barry and, and, and Jason. Jason thank you for coming to talk to us and for shining a light on this important subject. subject. So weird that that happened a month ago, months before the deployment of this intercontinental missile. Now, as we understand, everything has been heating up in the Middle East, in Europe, Eastern Europe, and in the Asian continent. Iran is really hurting right now. It seems that we're going to see some unexpected moves occur, and it's apparent. I mean, you know, that didn't work, this didn't work. So everything is according to a script. That goes for everything, from everything that happens within our nation, the economy, our food shortages, our gas issues, our inflation, our rhetorics, our propaganda, because, you know, they call their missile thing propaganda, but the inauguration of a faux president was not propaganda, of course. Everything is orchestrated and scripted. And as you can see, even your journalists, both left and right, are also scripted. So... Gosh, I have burnt eyelids and it's killing me. I'm sorry. So I want you guys to be looking at the scripts and look how unexpected it's going to come to them when there's an unexpected script deviation. You know, because while everyone goes and beats to the same drum because they're like, yeah, we're going to do it like this. We're all on the same page. We're not going to release information. We're going to go this way to get this done. We're going to go this way to get this done. And they're all secret. And they make it look like it's organic and it's not. Which brings me to my next thing. What you guys are doing, what we're doing, is something called organic, which means you don't have a command center of one person telling you what to do. Gosh, thanks for the rants, JM and that girl. So thank you. Okay. 
So what we're, what we're doing is organic. We don't have anyone that funds us. We don't have anyone that, you know, says, okay, you march off to that place and protest. You do signs like this and go protest. You guys work together because you want to fix your communities. You guys organize together because you're united in your common values and foundations. You guys get things done and we're effective because united, America's unstoppable. And I can tell you this, that there are many people out there many agencies and organizations that have been seeing what we've been doing with the letters and the lawsuits. And while you don't feel like anyone's really watching, but now you see your tangible results, they have realized that you are a force to be reckoned with. And they are willing to spend millions of dollars to replicate that. You heard Patrick Byrne say the same thing. He said it many times. We could spend five to six million dollars and spend six years to create what Tory created. But what they lack to understand is, is that the only reason this was created wasn't because we organized. It was because we all flocked to the truth and that we're transparent, and that we don't seek to control each other. Now, while many will sit there and be, well, I was kicked out of my group for this, and I was kicked out, look, I don't control the groups. That's your state, your county, or your city, and you're in charge of that. The only people I kick out are the people that are throwing spam in. I've, I've banned like over 700 people trying to sell mediocre and coins and advertise other people's channels. I mean, I've got people advertising Rudy Giuliani's channel that I set up. So I obviously know which one is the correct one. So it's like, I want to tell you guys that they are terrified of you. And this is why they work so hard to cancel me. Because they think if we don't speak of Tori, then her groups will stop and they will come to us. And you saw that with the America First Audits Group. That Salty Lulu and Josh Merritt, they replicated 50 states and said, oh, I'll all come in. And they pretended to be working with Patrick Byrne. They wouldn't. And then they said that they were working with Professor Clements. Who knows? Like, we don't know. And bottom line is we don't care. What they don't realize is, is the reason that they can't organize. And I've said this before. Is because they're not being 100% honest. And unfortunately, people can see that. The veil is so thin now that people can actually hear true words. This has happened before in the past at different times with different people of different calibers. And it was only then the change was made. When it was realized that if you seek to control people with free will, in the end, there will be resistance no matter how good you think your outcome is. See, another thing that they do is they're all loyalists. Um, some conversations that I had with a few people were talking about how 
upset they were that I'm not loyal to President Trump for writing about Truth Social. I love that man, but I'm not going to sit and tell my audience a big fat lie to protect him when his business is failing because of the implementation. As a friend, you tell someone exactly what it is, even if they don't like it. They might think you're mean, but hey, I won't let you get out of the house dressed all ugly. Why would I let you think that your business is doing great when it's not? Honesty is never accepted by many people. I mean, I resist it too when someone tells me something. Um, but we can only embrace that. This is why I say, hate me now, love me later. Because just like truth, when we're first confronted with it, we hate it. But then we end up loving it because that changed everything for us. You know, it's not tough love. It's actual love. No one's going to sit there and pet your ears or tell you the things you want to hear because that's not true love. Love is being 100% honest and transparent in order to succeed. You can't succeed if you're not given proper direction, proper knowledge, and constructive criticism. So for me, I realized there is a lot of, I don't want to say envy, but disdain, which is worse, right? Because they don't understand why they can't accomplish what we accomplish. They don't understand why, you know, someone that would have so many groups and listeners and then doesn't take advantage of that fact and create something. They're upset. I get it. Man's ugliest quality is self-preservation. And even with good intentions, when you seek to control the minds of the people and guide them to where you want them, you fail sooner or later. But when you liberate the minds of the people, you give them knowledge, you treat them as your better half, as your brothers and sisters, and your transparent with them, and no frills, just as, and you brainstorm with them. I brainstorm with thousands of people every day online. I read messages. I see ideas. I'll engage with people on the side and say, hey, I saw this post you made. That's a fantastic idea. What do you think of this? See, Corroborating, corroborating, co cooperating together. There we go. Cooperating together for a common goal is what's important. We don't need any leaders. We don't need any dictators. We don't need <laughs> rules and regulations on how to operate. All we need are the tools in order to succeed. We need to emulate we need to be brave and we need to follow examples, right? We always learn hands-on, right? We learn from other people's failures or wins, right? And what we also need is 
No more bullshit. No more stringing along. And when I say this, I say it hands down. Um, my admins that have been on the channels, you know, Jackson, Cy, and Wimps have been on for like forever. And many a times my admins, I ask them to go to places to meet with different um, leaders of groups, right? Like teams, right? Team this, I'm team that. Only because I want to see how we can improve or maybe help. And every single time it turns out to be like, yeah, we're not doing that. And I can tell you my admins, if they were able to and they shouldn't, would tell you that every single time they're there, they're questioning how much it costs to maintain all these groups. How do we give direction? How can we have access to the numbers you have? How can we mobilize them? This is a real thing, and I'm not just stating this. And the problem is, is this is why they really hate me. Because I will not bend the knee. I will not betray the people that I consider family. Did I tell you guys that I met a pilot in the middle of an airport that's a listener? Okay, because I'm getting teary-eyed just thinking of him. He was a breath of fresh air. We were going from one flight to another, and he's a pilot. Breath of fresh air, I FaceTimed with his wife. I don't even remember if I told you guys this already. It was on, on, our, on our way here. And uh, then I met someone else from Illinois um, at a hotel, right? And, um, you know, I realized just how big our network is. We're everywhere. And I know a lot of people think, oh, you know, Tori may want her privacy. If you see me around, hug me. <laughs> Be like, hey, I'm so-and-so, right? I am totally with it because we are one big family. And I know that they hate us for that us. I wouldn't say hate. See, I don't like that word. I want to say envy. An enslaved person or a person that thinks in boundaries is always envious of the bird that can fly. And this weekend, I want you guys to reflect, to understand exactly what that means. Even the good guys seek control. They seek to control how you respond, what you support, how you support it. I'm not just saying this. This is factual. Maybe years from now, hopefully what we've recorded can be made available. Because there's no point in pointing out things. I don't have to. You guys can see it yourself. I don't have to point out things, people giving loyalties to self-preservation rather than their community and their homes and their country. I need not point it out. You can see it. And the only thing we need to continue to do is show others too, that it's always about control, the narrative, 
the people. Who wears the crown? Who is in the spotlight? Who's considered righteous? Remember, like I said, we have to think, who is really a hero? That's a real question. Because as I stated, someone can go into the war zone and be considered a hero because he saved all of his fellow soldiers from open fire. And maybe that guy will also pick up the limbs of other soldiers and bring them along and he's hailed a hero. But he beats the shit out of his kids, beats the shit out of his wife, spits on his mom, gets drunk every weekend, whores around. Is he still a hero? See, we have heroes that are for the moment. And we have heroes that are heroes every single day. And what you guys have been doing, organizing, discussing, meeting with each other, breaking bread, is heroic. Because you are the heroes of our story. I, I'm just the match, right? And I'm the one that's more than happy to be like, yeah, I'll go first. <laughs> it's like we're all on a cliff and we're like, what are we doing? It's like, yeah, just watch me. I'm going to go ahead first. Let's go. You know, I have no problem doing it because I guess I'm bold, right? Um, and I've got nothing to lose. I've been everywhere. I've done everything. And like I said, um, take it as you wish. I've lived many lives um, to be fearful of things. Uh, sometimes I get drawn into the construct of fear. But all of you are heroes. And you guys are the heroes of this story. I'm not. I'm simply the person, you know, that friend in the group that's like, all right, I'll go first. I'll file the first lawsuit. I'll run for the first office and I'll go to the, through the worst shit, right? I'll have all of these people freaking conspire and break laws and Supreme courts and all this shit. And I'll still fucking get on the ballot. So if I can do it. You could definitely do it. And not only that, I'll have a trail of bullshit following me with people like Ali Kakbar, you know, with his jaw, you know, saying ugly things when he's got pictures with young boys talking about cream on their face, you know, that type of stuff. So if I can do it, you would do it. Do you see what I mean? So I, I, I want to state that you guys are the heroes. I mean, we're all, we all are. We're all in this together. I'm just that friend in the group that has the big mouth and is willing to talk and die first. Be like, yeah, so the cliff's a little bit steep. <laughs> Everyone's like, mm, I don't know. You know, I, I don't know if you guys have ever went to like dive off a place with your friends when you were younger off a rock or whatever. right? And it's like, who's going to go first and get the wedgie and tell us how it is or figure it out. Right. Kind of like that. Um, that's me. That's me. That's me because I'm the one that will be like, all right, I'll go. I've jumped a lot of cliffs. Uh, I'll show you how I can do it. And if I survive, then it should be all right, right? And I'll tell you what the temperature of the water is. That's basically me, okay? So you guys are indeed the heroes. Um, and I don't want anyone to, 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 don't let anyone tell you anything different. You stay true to your faith. Question everything. And listen to your gut. Because going forward, like I said, the first you know, few weeks of 
2022, we're going to be weird. We haven't even gotten to the rough shit yet. Okay. You think filling up your car tank with $10 gas and still being empty is a problem? You haven't seen anything yet. Now, while the RICO case that was filed is incredible, civil RICO, number one, is an incredible feat. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about the lawyer. We'll talk about how amazing of a person he is because he is an amazing person. And, um, you know, talk about that next week because I want all these thirsty bitches trying to get a hold of the attorney and get a first interview. And I want to see who gets it. So that way I know. And I'm, I'm totally like that. So again, just saying, <laughs> just saying, let's focus on what we need to be doing. What we need to be doing is putting our ducks in a row, making sure that anyone running within our state groups is run like a thoroughbred. And let's get going because we're going to have our union after that. It'll be completely unstoppable and we'll be so much more bigger in numbers. And I will make sure that when we create this union, we will never have a title in Tierra in that spot ever. We will make sure that the people that sit on the board are average people that love America and would never, ever turn their nose up at a citizen considering, oh, who are you? Tell me who you are. Mm, and what did you do? Mm. You know, when I see people start asking questions like that to vet them, I cut it off. Because see, that's how I, I never vetted anyone like that. I just ask them simple things. And you can see from little things that a person does, not the big things. Because let me tell you something. Everybody in the world fucks up. A lot of people can't test take and go to great colleges. Some people don't even finish college, right? Because they don't want to. Or maybe they were stupid and were getting drunk and doing whatever, right? That's okay. That doesn't show you their value. Some people may have joined the military and then got, you know, some broken arm and got out. And he was in the army for like a year and a half and then got out because he broke his leg or his arm and he couldn't fix it. Or, you know... He asked to get out because his wife was hit in a car accident and he couldn't handle it and had a child. You know, everyone has different situations. Some people can afford, you know, Stanford. Others can only afford the community college. We should never give standards of what a person is capable of based on what you think is the standard. Because you have no idea what broils and what's inside anybody. So when I hear people asking, oh, so where did you go to college? Mm? Did you serve? Mm? When I hear them, and, I've, and I can tell you, this week, I've seen a lot of those conversations in front of me. That puts someone on the spot where they're going to oversell themselves and get uncomfortable. For me to vet them, I can tell you that out of the four people that were being asked questions, I liked two of them. And it was the two that they were like, mm. like, no, nah, man, that person's loyal to their country. 
you know, because what did you see? Someone almost spilled a bottle over next to him and he actually went and tried to catch it. When I saw that that person did it, I purposely ensured that I sat next to someone and rolled my bottle over and he didn't go to catch it. He was too busy answering questions. You see, there's little things that you can see what makes a team player and what doesn't. Not their college, not their service record, not, you know, if they're limping, right? It's what's here and the little things that they do that nobody seems to notice, right? Or how one of them was like constantly doing this to the person that was talking to him. And you could tell that he was trying to give them a signal hey, you've got something on your face. Like, that's weird, right? The person's interviewing issue and you're telling them that they have something on their face. That means you actually care to not, you know, to, to, to look after them in that sense. Anyway, I'm just going on on this. You know, um, your heart has more to offer than any title in Tiara. And if anything, this is how it is, you know, and this is why they envy what we have because we don't look at the titles and tiaras because if we wanted to break down the titles and tiaras, damn, we've got all the crowns, all the jewels right here. So on that note, I want you guys to keep in mind that, you know, there might be some surprise coming between that. Love affair, because what's the fine line between love and hate? And a love affair can quickly turn to a hate affair. I hate to see something like that between North Korea and Iran now that they're being kind of um, smothered with all, you know, the ruckus going around uh, with the alleged <laughs> Ukraine is already Russia, but whatever. Should we just go with the narrative and what they say? I mean, it is what it is, right? So on that note, I want to bid you guys goodbye. Tomorrow's Saturday. I'm not doing a show. Um, Sunday, I'll see if we can do another Sceneer um, show. Maybe we'll do Netflix this time if you guys want. I don't know. We'll figure it out online. I mean, I, if I watch something, I'll share so we can watch together. Um, I only watch things that um, tickle the thought. Is that the right way to say it? But don't forget, setting fire to rain is very difficult, but that's exactly what you guys are doing. Exactly what you guys are doing. Not kind of, exactly. I let it fall. to claim it It was dark and I was over until you kissed my lips and you saved me